We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use IronSource's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on IronSource's website. That's ironsrc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. What's up, everybody? We are on Twig 118. We've got myself, Joe Kim, a.k.a. Deep Gaming Value. Glued to the moon, right, Eric? Anyway, well, we also have Adam Telfer, Eric Kress, and we have a special guest host taking the place of Mishka Katkoff for this week. Ninel Anderson. And before we jump into updates, Ninel, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of what you do in the games industry? Of course. Well, first of all, thank you so much, guys, for inviting me. It's such a pleasure. I've been a follower of your podcast, and uh, especially when you had that um, podcast episode with the um, Epic CEO and your number skyrocketed. I was like, <laughs> yay, super happy to do that. Uh, Myself, I've been in the gaming industry for over 10 years. I specialize in external development. I have a company called Devoted Studios here in Los Angeles. So we specialize in setting up production and making sure that the ship sails smoothly whenever the production goes uh, forward. And we work with external partners like individual talent and studios throughout the whole world. This is kind of like in a nutshell of what we do. Right. Oh, yeah, you are from LA. That's where we met, right? Like it was one of those... um... This uh, whatever those special E three like some party yeah. at some, some dude's house some fancy yeah guy. Oh, <laughs> my favorite my favorite one <laughs> right well no parties anymore you know we, get, <laughs> right, right. we we live in a society where you know I can uh, have a sneak peek in everyone's apartment and everyone's house and see who plays what toys and you know uh, their childhood dreams and you know music posters and all of that stuff now right so. yeah and adam just got an upgrade on that side but all right mm-hmm. so jumping into update so first gamma Sutra reported that rovio has quietly shut down hatch rovio's mobile game gaming streaming service and apparently the service was shut down actually just via a banner on its website on december 31st of last year 
Rovio owned 80% of Hatch and had been looking for other investors since 2019. I, by the way, I, I think I know exactly what to do with Hatch. So if anyone at Rovio wants to know, feel free to ping me, but it's not games. Adam and Eric, I know you guys want to <laughs> want to throw in some hate here on, yeah, on Hatch. You know, but, I, I'm but just going to throw hate on you. Hatch I, good. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm just going to throw hate on you because I read that. I read that comment. I was like, this is a podcast, Joe. What is the recommendation? You can't just be like, this is this is Joe recommendation, Eric, but come talk to me after the podcast. What's your recommendation for Hatch? Come on, let's be public about it. Uh, yeah, anyway, let, let, let's, 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 <laughs> let's skip over. Because I, I, I know Eric's got some comments here. No, I mean, look, I, I've already talked so much smack about Hatch. <laughs> it's, a, it's a stupid <laughs> idea from the get-go. Streaming makes no sense, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But uh, streaming on mobile makes even less sense. And and uh, But I don't know. I got a lot to say about the Google announcements re- later. So it all is the same idea. Is like this whole idea was dumb. So. I really like the idea of the latest attempts of Hatch, where it was like making it a kids-oriented service, right. where the kids can get, you know, content. And, you know, let's be honest, I have quite a bit of friends that have kids, and they spend a ton of money on buying games for them because uh, parenting is hard. Parenting through pandemic is double hard. So um, it's a lot of content that is purchased for kids. And maybe if Hatch did this attempt a little earlier, that could yeah. work out. But that's, you know. No, but for but, was it? No, <laughs> but, <laughs> but is it like, but not streaming, right? Like if you're talking about a content sub for for parents, mm-hmm. right? Like even Apple Arcade yeah. could pivot more towards being um, a family friendly content subscription. Okay, yeah, I'm, uh, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Kind By of the way, that. how much how much press is this bullshit arcade getting these days? Like, there's no there's no evidence whatsoever that this thing is successful, but I just keep seeing it places, you know, like. I don't know. He just follows you around the internet. I think it's like one of those (laughs) ad tracking. You talk so much about Apple Arcade. It follows you around. You know, and the thing is that they'll never cancel it. So I was probably wrong about that because it's all part of their overall like subscription services. So it's going to stay alive in some kind of respirator for like forever. And it's going to drive me insane. It's going to be like a telltale heart, like destroying me every day, like listening to this bullshit around Apple Arcade and these douchebags that are giving me a hard time because I think it's a dumb idea, right? All right, anyway, moving on. Moving on, moving on. So second update, Screen Rant is reporting that a UK-based study found that Epic Games is the most popular game brand in the world based on keyword searches. And just to be clear, when they say this is a study, it was basically just looking at volume off of Google Keyword Planner. So not exactly like a real study, but based on this so-called study, they found that the top three were number one, Epic, number two, Nintendo, and then three, Gameloft. But I feel like with okay. this kind of studies, I can be a professor now, like <laughs> just mastering Google. I can be a professor in any topic and just publish my you know, work online. Right. Again, you know what the problem is? You got to stop reading Screen Rant, dude. Like, <laughs> stop, right? Okay. No, no, I, by the way, this is, I'm not going to Screen Rant in these places to, to look for this news. These are the trending news articles. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Wow. Okay. So yeah. they have their Google search results going up high. Game Loft, number three? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. All right. Next update uh, Amazon. So basically, another hit piece. On Amazon, uh, there's an article uh, titled Amazon can make just about anything except a good video game. Now, we were going to cover this, but we've covered this topic so often that we decided to just put this on, put this as an update. But 
you know, uh, I will have to say that there, there are some interesting points that were made in this article. So if you are interested in this topic and from all the private Slack discussions and people sharing this article, I, I know people are still interested in this. I definitely think it's probably worth the read. But by the way, just to be clear, I am a super Jeff Bezos and Amazon fanboy, but reading this definitely makes me think that this is this is like there's something going on. This is not like Amazon. And certainly it's I, I think that games are different. It's not like e-commerce or even medicine or some of the other areas that they are going after, but definitely seems like their approach and even the the way in which they generally operate is not applied to to this to this effort. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's looking pretty bad. Basically, they suck, right? I mean, that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> I, I think we, it's, we, it's, it's a leadership. It, it, I mean, they, no, no, no. I mean, we already talked about this ad nauseum. It's conflicting priorities. It's, you know, they don't have a great engine. They have AWS, they have uh, Twitch, and they have game studios, and they have Amazon Prime. All these guys have conflicting prior, priorities that doesn't don't make sense uh, and, and make it very, 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 very challenging to make games. And I don't think they hired the wrong people. I think they hired some decent people too. Like, I just think that the environment's just not set up for this, so. From what I've heard from folks that used to work there, not, I mean, again, I don't I don't know these guys, but the, the word on the street is- I uh, love, I love <laughs> there, there was the, the, part of the article, which I actually did read at one point was that it was like, they hire all these people, pay them insane amounts of money. Yes, plus, yes. plus Amazon stock has been up so much. So any stock that they got was worth gazillions, right? right. But there, there's no one pushing them to do shit, right? Yeah, so they're exactly. just sitting on, on their hands, right? Doing nothing for No, the years. people that left were bored. They're like, dude, yeah. I, I, I'm just farting around at work. I'm out of here. <laughs> anyway, all right, moving on. Uh, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll try and turn things a little more positive. <laughs> but, really? Um, <laughs> Next update. So Stillfront has announced the acquisition of Moonfrog and is announcing entering the Indian market. The structure is a little bit interesting, actually. So it was it's an acquisition that will take place in potentially four tranches. First, 91% of the company will be acquired for 90 million in um, US dollars. Then the remaining 9% of shares will be acquired in up to three additional tranches of purchases based upon various, it's all keyed off of different EBITDA, multiple targets based on different dates. And the initial purchase price, according to the article is, or according to uh, the announcement is equivalent to about 6X multiple on EBITDA, which compared to valuations elsewhere actually sounds kind of not too bad. Anyway, congrats to Stillfront and welcome to my home country, India. Anyway, final update, final update for me anyway, more SPACs coming. first. Play Studios will be going public via SPAC at a $1.1 billion valuation. And next, we have Nexter's Global, the makers of Hero Wars, to SPAC at a $1.9 billion valuation. So congrats to those guys. Hey, if it's there, go grab that money. <laughs> Dude, do we congratulate SPACs? Is this SPAC a thing we congratulate? Oh, hey, we congratulate the guys who are, who are getting paid. So do you, you know what this feels like? It's like when you go to a carnival, right? And you see one of those, like, big plastic rooms that are clear things and they have money floating in the, in the room and you jump in there and you're like grabbing it, grabbing money, grabbing money, grabbing money. That's what all this shit happens. Like Play Studios, I just saw their forecast. It is ridiculous. It is absolutely absurd. I love these guys. These guys are amazing. We actually almost looked at the, acquiring these guys. They are amazing operators. They know what the fuck they're doing, but their projections are ridiculous. Like they literally grew below market market growth last year right in the best year in social casino 
ever. Like social casino grew like 50 fucking percent and these guys grew like 18. And now they're expecting to grow like double digits for the next two years and 22% and be super profitable. This is all total bullshit, right? In my opinion. So I don't know anything about Nexter's Global, but I just had a chance to look at Play Studios this morning. It is obscene, right? But go for it, man. Do it, do it. Money, money, money. And then we see GameStop is down like, a gazillion percent, right? It's going right back down to $5 because that's what it's fucking worth. Full stop, right? So anyway, buyer beware. Be careful out there. Stay away from fucking Reddit and stock <laughs> research. Well, it definitely feels like the best year for raising money and going IPO because all the investors are pumped with video games because, you know, if we look at the industry in general, and I, and I bet you guys covered that in general in, in the podcast of, so many investors are going after gaming companies yeah. with whatever projections they have, how many users they have. And, you know, I'm personally pleased because Nexters are from, you know, Eastern Europe and having more companies, you know, joining like Playrix and um, all that rather other groups of people that, you know, promoting the region and creating, you know, workforce and decent salaries for the people there. I'm, you know, I'm happy. No, yeah. There yeah, is a finally opportunity for video game companies to rise yeah. and be you know accepted in the general business industry not like a you know what are you doing there are a bunch of indies or game developers doing some creative content who cares now it's a serious business to be in so yeah and speaking about playrix i think the brothers were also early investors in next year's global so it seems like there's some kind of relationship there as well well, maybe they're going to Thailand and Playrix is going to <laughs> Thailand as a free trip as well. And that, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, next article. Let's talk about Supercell, Eric's favorite topic. Um, so they celebrate another unicorn uh, reporting sensor tower. They passed $1 billion with Brawl Stars. Um, note, I don't know why they keep doing this, but they're reporting gross revenue, not net revenue. So this is actually $700 million. Um, so not as sexy, but um, that's the way that they report it. Um, but this was their second grossing title after Clash Clans for 2020. So it's still very, very impressive. And a big reason for this was the release in China in June and likely got some tailwind in 2020 due to COVID. Um, this obviously is an amazing milestone, uh, which is incredible considering, I think, the scrutiny and criticisms I think it had since launch, um, including from myself. I, I believe this thing wouldn't even launch if we remember back to the soft launch. Um, and you know what? I've never really launched a game that's remotely this successful. So I have to give huge kudos to this team <laughs> for the persistence to get through this, right? To even reach 700 million. Um, so it's gotten here in such an unorthodox way, right? Like its RPI is the lowest in its portfolio, roughly about $2.60. And its revenue, if you look at it, is basically just a cascade of shark fins. Um, and where, whereas kind of in a strong service world, you should see stacking revenue growing over time. They've managed to get this revenue through live content requirements, as well as growth initiatives through the time. So I think the question now is, can they really reach, you know, 1 billion in net revenue during 2021? Um, because I think their shark fins have mostly been created by these types of growth initiatives, like going into China or, or Korea. Um, but each one de decays right back down to their baseline pretty quickly. And I don't really see many more avenues to grow. So right now it's really all down to their service, whether they can increase their baseline 
Um, I'm still personally very skeptical on this game's live model, and I think it just shows the cracks of Supercell's culture. But you know, I've been so wrong on this team so many times, so it's it's hard to count them out. Um, moving forward to Game Pass. So Game Pass just went through a milestone. They hit 18 million subscribers uh, at the end of January. Um, so this is just one more thing that I was actually wrong on that I should come clean. Um, so it's 18 million now, 15 million about four months ago, and 10 million eight months ago in April. Um, so overall, this looks like it's working, right? It's stacking subscriptions at a great pace. And it looks like there was a hockey stick of growth through 2020. Um, although these say last four months, you can say have been a little bit slower in terms of growth. Um, and this is even after the Bethesda acquisition, which you know I would have expected to accelerate. But with 18 million subscribers now, and assuming they can sustain this type of growth through 2021, they've already really reached a point where the subscriptions are paying for all the new content needed to feed the sub. So if you do some like basic math, if we assume that they make about 10 bucks in net revenue per sub per month, that's just a complete speculation. So you don't kill me if I'm wrong here. Uh, but 18 million for that, that's roughly 2 billion or more in revenue. And of course that will grow, that subscription base should continue to grow. So 2 billion revenue, that is plenty of money to be feeding this subscription. So Elder Scrolls from Bethesda, throw that in there day one. Um, risking sales of that is definitely worth it if you can continue to grow the subscriber base. And I think Microsoft's strategy around focusing on you know, Bethesda's content, as well as all of their shifting towards say Gen Z focused services um, is all you know trending well towards building up this Game Pass. Um, so that's kind of my notes on Game Pass. Um, I'm personally waiting for Nintendo to skip the hardware, just launch their entire past catalog and future catalog as a content subscription. Um, they've just been so damn slow. Uh, but anyways, yeah, they, they Nintendo actually had a really interesting uh, letter from the president and he basically outlined the exact thesis that I've been talking about with Nintendo is that they're are, are planning to do these type of content uh, subscriptions. I mean, he wasn't, they were very specific. It was more general, but you're right. I mean, I think this is a no brainer for them to build subscription services around their content. Again, the reason that Hatch and freaking Google Stadia and Lundia or what the hell those things are don't work is because there's no content, right? And so content is king for these type of subs. And I think that's why Microsoft is seeing so much success is because they just have compelling content. And anyway, Nintendo should definitely follow suit. So we'll see if they execute against that in the next year or so. Yeah. So but I think you guys think oh, go ahead. So what do you guys think? Is we're gonna totally move to a subscription model and no more buying standalone titles in like a couple of years on Xbox? No, I don't I, I, I don't think it's that cut and dry. I think oh well for Xbox content, yes, more or less, but like but I don't think it's that cut and dry because I think it's 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 game based, right? So people buy games on consoles because they want to play FIFA, they want to play Madden, they want to play Call of Duty. I don't think a subscription mm -hmm. is going to be able to, um, you know, take care of all the needs and wants of, of the consumer per se. But it will be a big part of it, I think. Yeah. So this yeah. is great being on YouTube because now I can watch Eric's cat in the background. <laughs> I, was I was wondering what that noise was. I was like, <laughs> I thought something wrong with my mic. I had to move my cat twice already, so. Oh, no, no, um, let, let's, let, let the cats free. <laughs> definitely gonna be free there. the cats. Yeah. I definitely um, think the subscription model can, can uh, support just playing more games and trying more games because like myself, I subscribe to the, uh, the um, Sony Pass 
um, recently that gives a discount. And it has been four months that I'm forgetting to cancel it. So I'm like, <laughs> whenever it goes through as a purchase, I'm like, oh, now I need to go and buy something because I already paid money. So I'm like halfway in. So I think that those tricky subscription models are making people buy more games and try more games, especially they have like, you know, um, I've seen that there's like the, the Sony has the, uh, with the past, like one or two games that are coming free as well. So it, it gives a possibility to try new stuff that otherwise I wouldn't pay like 60 bucks to, to try or, you know, invest 10 hours or 20 hours at least of my time to, you know, to play around. But now I'm money in, so I have no other option to try it. We will, yeah. we will see how these, yeah. how these evolve over time. Um, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for Nintendo to come out with a subscription service on Microsoft. That's what I'm waiting for. I, th I think that's definitely possible over the next couple of years is they come out with some old catalog uh, Nintendo product for like, it's basically the HBO button, right? For on Microsoft. So anyway, yeah, I think, I think that's definitely possible. All right, um, last, last article, mobile dev memo. Um, so the article this week was Apple is not playing by their own IDFA rules. Um, and Apple is now saying that the uh, ATT, the um, app tracking transparency pop-up, will be rolling out in early spring. But uh, Eric actually dug a little bit deeper on this and basically showed that the App Store's search API for Apple ads is actually giving advertisers more granularity than their own SK ad network in terms of the IDFA change. So, of course, right? Like, and I think uh, I agree with Mobile Dev Memo's insight here that Apple's end game here is not just privacy. It's to take control of app discoverability and to advance its own app network and regain control over app distribution. Diabolical, diabolical, these guys. These guys are fucking dirty, dirty birdies, <laughs> dude. Let me tell you, Apple just not playing fair, man. That, that this shit's not gonna fly, dude. Like even even as a non-legal scholar, I can tell you that this is like not good shit right now. So we'll see what Facebook does. They're gonna sue the shit out of these motherfuckers, right? Anyway, Apple is dirty, just dirty. Um, all right, moving on. And it was Eric Seifert that wrote this, not me. I don't write shit. Like Sorry, that. I, this, I meant the smarter Eric. I need to preface <laughs> that every time. The smarter Eric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the much smarter person. Okay, Google Stadia. All right, here we go. All right. Google Stadia shuts down internal studios, surprising no one, right? Changing their biggest business focus, okay? So basically, Google is canceling all of their games. Basically, all the games, you know, they acquired that studio and for insane amounts of money, I'm sure. And now they're shutting that down. They're closing Montreal, they're closing the LA offices. I don't think any of these guys have released jack shit yet, of course. Uh, about 150 people are let go and we are sad for that. Um, and of course, Jade Raymond will be leaving Google as well. No surprise there. Um, they say, Google said they will continue to operate Studia, Stadia, sorry, but they will produce no internal titles. So basically I think this is like, end of days for Stadia at this point. This is like the beginning of the end, right? Um, so, and they also have this one other quote that I wanna say, which is making me feel very warm and fuzzy inside because this is exactly what we called. We see an important opportunity to work with partners seeking a gaming solution, all built on Stadia's advanced technical infrastructure and platform tools. We believe that this is the best path to building Stadia into a long-term sustainable business that helps grow the industry. All right, 
basically what this is saying, they are white labeling this motherfucker and allowing publishers to do whatever the hell they want with it, all right? So we were right on this one, right? Google saw the numbers, realized it was an absolute train wreck and a disaster, and they cut the funding, right? And they did it in far less time than I thought. I thought it'd be two years. Well, not far less time. I said two years. They did it in a year and a half. And despite all the promises they made to developers out there that they were going to build the next, you know, fucking Microsoft and Sony platform, uh, it's over, <laughs> right? I mean, it's freaking over, right? And the acquisition of Typhoon Studios was an attempt to build up their infrastructure to support the to support the platform, and of course, that didn't work out too well. Um, but uh, you know, these guys, as, as I said many times, these guys should have been hired five, four years ago to build content that was compelling for the platform, right? You cannot build a platform without fucking content, you know? X Steam, Xbox Live, PSN, Battle.net, Epic versus. Ooya, Sega Saturn, 3DO, now Stadia, and of course, Ludia is next, the Amazon, whatever. Is it called Ludia? I can't remember. No, anyway. it's not called it's Ludia. Luna. It's Luna. Ludia is a very good mobile company. Exactly. Luna Who gives a fuck what the... it's called? It's going to fail. All right. Um, so again, this is basically what we've been saying all along, right? You know, the tech is going to get packaged up, handed over to the developers, and they're going to make their freaking platforms and things so overall stadia was always a fucking dumb idea all right it was always there was no it was a, basically a product without a market and this is what we've been saying and for all those people that i've heard on freaking the slack channel saying that 5g is going to save fucking streaming give me a fucking break okay it's not a compelling service it's not a compelling offering the game was over before it began because it's far more compelling to play on your console than it is to play on stadia right full stop right you can't Every game is optimized around the experience of sitting in front of a 50-inch plasma, 60-inch plasma, playing on a controller, right? And that's the way it is. So the only way streaming could ever be successful, ever, is if a content is built specifically for streaming that can only be done on streaming. And that is not happening. Now that they've gotten rid of all development, it's over, right? It's over. There's no one making games specifically for streaming. They're just putting their content out there, right? And it's better on console. It's better on PC even. Right. So anyway, streaming is done. Right. In my opinion, fundamentally, um, I would love to hear some disagreement on this and I'm sure I'm going to get some flack from this. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I, I just feel terrible for everyone involved with Google on the development side in this whole thing. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, this happened less than a year and a half after the, the whole console released. Right. Like you, you want to assume that as a developer, you would go in there, you get hired. And on the promise of streaming, right? And you can you can see how people can could get convinced to say, look, we're going to create streaming first content in a way they didn't create that content. But you know, like the market is moving into this place where you have games like Daisy, Tarkov, uh, Minecraft, right? Where a persistent server, where everybody's joining, hundreds of people could be joining. Streaming tech is actually built for that. And if they had just focused on building a killer game with that type of content at launch, maybe something could happen here, right? Again, but as I said earlier, like they would have had to hire these people four years ago. Yeah, I know, right? I know. But they can't hire them like one year ago, right? Yeah. That, that's why that, that whole move made no sense. It was way yeah. too late for that. Yeah. Um, and and, and they, were, they were set up to fail. Right. It was it wasn't there was no way that that could be they could be successful. Right. Yep. Unless I mean, unless the thing took off and people just embraced, 
you know, streaming as the next messiah or something, but like, geez, it didn't happen, right? And so yeah. there's just no business for that, right? Anyway. Yeah. Well, okay. remember when Apple was coming out and, you know, the app store was coming out, there was no pro there was no apps, there was no games. And over the time they, you know, the, uh, the developers build up the content that supported the growth of the, of the store itself. On the other hand, I'm like devastated. Well, like whenever I read the corporate news where people are laid off, I, that's the part that is the most heartbreaking for me because the corporate decision affecting other people's life is 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 definitely um, a hard one. The yeah. You know, what's funny? I actually really was thinking about the Apple thing too because I'm like, well, what made this difference from that? Well, the thing with Apple, this is obvious. This is going to sound obvious, I think, is that like they have ubiquity, right? Like everyone has a mobile phone, right? And I remember when I was at, e sorry, just let me take a step back. When I was at EA, we were looking at the PSP and I was basically, I did this analysis for the board that basically said, look, the PSP is going to be a challenge because no one really wants to play games on a dedicated device out in public because it's not socially acceptable to do so. The only time you play games outside is when you're on a plane or you're on the shitter, right? And that's it, right? That was the use case for games on a handheld. So I just didn't think it would go beyond the enthusiast or children, right, at the time, right? So now I'm saying this, I sound like a fucking moron, right? Because Apple just completely went off the fucking rails and then doing extremely well. But at that time, that was the, the, the mentality of of the user base, right? The 3DS was really successful with kids. Uh, it expanded the demo a little bit, but ultimately the PSP was really, really not well suited. And that's exactly what happened. The PSP was a disaster, right? It was really good out of the gate and then it just fell off a cliff, right? The tie ratios were terrible, et cetera. The use case was bad. Um, so what am I trying to say? My point is, is that the Apple creating a handheld device that everyone, every single person has that's super capable is built for creating games for that platform, right? And so, that's why the 95% of the, of the revenue is being generated by like, you know, like really low res type content um, out there. And it, it, it's just a great platform that everyone could have. And now it is socially acceptable to be out there on the fucking bus, out there on the trains, out there freaking sitting in front of your office building, playing video games all day. Like that's like a socially acceptable. So I guess what I'm trying to bring this back to is that Google Stadia doesn't make sense because it doesn't there is no use case for it right if any if anybody wants to play a console game they have a console right and and, and it's a much better experience and it's much more optimized for that stadia just solved no problem it was a product without a market right well and eric i would i would probably disagree with you in the sense that i think that at some point in time streaming makes sense is it right is it right now is it today no and to your point Stadia, what they didn't realize is that they were competing as a console so they needed content to compete as a console but when we do think about like the special capabilities, right? Like they weren't competing on capability because the capability that people talk about when they talk about Stadia is like, well, you can have a thousand person battle royale game. Yeah, but <laughs> that game doesn't exist. And you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so like they weren't, that, that was a problem is that they thought they would compete on capability. They weren't, the cost model just doesn't make any sense today. And so, and as a content player, they they were completely caught with their pants down on the content side and they didn't realize what game that they were playing so that that was the sad part of it but i do think at some point in time 
you know, the world will be streaming. And I would not be surprised if one of the people that Microsoft, or sorry, that Google is talking to is Nintendo and trying to figure out a way of putting Nintendo games on Stadia. That, that would not be surprising to me. Yeah, but the problem, and, the, the precision of controls, particularly for something like Mario would be really challenging on Stadia, but whatever, anyway, moving on. Go, go ahead. In my opinion, the PSP failed actually, uh, mostly because it was so hard to get content on PSP. Because I remember we were developing games for like mobile at that time, and you couldn't even dream of getting licensed and approved to doing PSP content. Even if you wanted to invest your own money, it would take months to get to the approval point, and then months in QA um, and approvals with PSP. So a lot of developers were discouraged not right. to even start doing it. Yeah, but plus as, the, co as a, the cost the cost of goods sold were really expensive. Those little fucking DVD things were so expensive. <laughs> yep, yep. And then there was Apple where it's like, you you go, you sign up, and you release whatever you want, and then it flies. So I think the accessibility of PSP was one of one of the things. And uh, on the Stadia, though, I actually thought that they're going to ride away with Cyberpunk because all my Facebook uh, feed was everyone who had Stadia was like, I have no problems running Cyberpunk on Stadia. I have no problems writing stuff. I thought that they would turn it as such a big PR for themselves and sell Stadia for the people who want to play Cyberpunk and for the people who uh, didn't want to wait when Sony going to get back uh, on on Rails with the game um, on, the, uh, on the PlayStation. And I'm actually surprised they didn't. Because yeah. I think but they could that, attract that so much more That was the best use case for Stadia so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, but we saw nothing, but nothing happened from it. Yeah, but, but look, I mean, I, 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 I actually, when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, this is a great use case for Stadia, right? I mean, I, <laughs> exactly. I, I have to admit, if you want to play on console, like they, the only way to do it is on Stadia, but the problem is the barrier to entry is too high, right? What do you have to pay, like $100, $120 just for the privilege of actually paying $60 for a game that's kind of broken, right? So like, you know, like, or that's perceived to be broken, you know? So the entry is really- Yeah, but how much is the Sony PlayStation to buy? Like you can't even buy the PS5 if you want to play on it, right? So it's even even more than Stadia itself. It shit didn't work on PS5 either, frankly. I mean, like, but I, <laughs> yep. but I whatever. Anyway, but I'm not going to bag on CD Projekt. The stock's back down to 60 bucks or whatever. Anyway, I am a- <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, people are just holding out hope. Like, there's this analyst report that they were going to sell more units in 2021 than they sold in 2020. I mean, these European guys have got to fucking pay attention to this business, right? It's like absolutely lunacy that, they, that there's no way they have a, some redemption on this game. The game is over. No one's talking about this shit no more, except for me, I guess. But all right, moving on. Okay, so next news article. So gambling apps are coming to Google Play Store in the U.S. and 14 other countries. And so The Verge is reporting that Google's Play Store will now allow gambling apps in the U.S. and 14 other countries. Currently, gambling apps on Google Play are only allowed in four countries, Brazil, France, Ireland, and the U.K. And the new rules that allows this greater access will start on March 1st. And just looking at the Google Play uh, Center developer program policy preview, it seems Google is allowing basically four types of gambling products. First is online casino games, second, sports betting, third, lotteries, and finally, daily fantasy sports. And based on my reading, looks like betting with apps like Skills won't be allowed. So Eric, you were right on that. I know we had that little private discussion about that, but according to the po preview policy docs, quote, for all 
other apps which do not meet the eligibility requirements for gambling apps noted above. We don't allow content or services that enable or facilitate users' ability to wager, stake, or participate using real money, including in-app items purchased with money, to obtain a prize of real-world monetary value. All right, so Eric, I think you can relax. Doom scenario on skills <laughs> is still valid. <laughs> What do you guys think? I think the stock is still up like like ten percent on this bullshit. But um, uh, yeah, I think what they're talking about is actually with companies that have legal gaming licenses, right? I think anyway, Skills doesn't have any of that, right? They're they're under the radar because they're basically claiming that there has nothing that they are all uh, skill based and obviously and not uh, luck based, right? So. What I actually am a little bit more concerned about is that Google's kind of changing their tune about gambling in general, right? You know, I honestly, I don't have many hangups in the world, right? And I am not the most moral person, I'll be honest, but gambling has always fucking bugged me. I don't know what it is about it, but it really just, I don't really see the value of society in society of gambling. I think, you know, it's a free country. You can do whatever the fuck you want with your money, but gambling just bugs me for some reason. It's just a terrible element, right? I mean, you look at Vegas, you look at Reno, it's just gross, you know, to me. Anyway, that's to me, right? Uh, you're against the stock of, market. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think part of it's because I have a really addictive personality and whenever I go to Vegas or Reno, <laughs> I become a fucking degenerate, you know? Like, I'm so into it. My eyes are like the size of saucers when I look at this fucking casino and this blackjack table, right? I'm fucking, it's, it's just gross, you know? And so I don't like what I become when I go to these casino things, so. But I don't really like the idea of legalizing gambling in any form in the U.S. And I know that's probably an unpopular opinion, but I don't know, it just annoys me. I mean, it's not as bad. I mean, it's almost as bad as advertising. It's probably worse than advertising. Advertising is bad, but this is this is worse. So anyway, that's my my uh, my my take on this. So I don't know why Google is getting all like softer on this fucking gambling thing. I thought they were going to hold the hold their own, but I guess not. My personal opinion on gambling is scary if it goes on phones because a lot of people have addictive personality and for a lot of people it can, you know, for a lot of families, it, 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 it is a crazy effect that now can be not regulated and people can be sitting at their phone with no work and just gambling all the money out. So I don't know. This kind of stuff is scary for me. Yeah, and I remember... Oh, go, go I, I remember Willie Brown when when he was mayor of San Francisco. He he put forth the idea of putting a casino out on Angel Island. <clears throat> Sorry, it's not Angel Island, but anyway, it's the island that's like uh, near Alcatraz. Bay, Bay, Bay. No, not Alcatraz. But anyway, the point is, it's like it's like uh, the island right across the Treasure Bay, Island. Bay, the Bay, Bay, Treasure Island. Thank you. And uh, dude, the outrage, the complete like utter like they just destroyed him on this issue. Like this was just never going to happen in the Bay Area. You know, I don't know that 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 that's that a good idea. I, I like that idea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gonna be some destination, you know? Like it's just some. I, I mean, it's just host right now, so we we need something to happen. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're maybe right. not a casino. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> please. It's don't. not what you need. <laughs> but oh, uh, one thing that one reason why they might be actually pursuing this is they might. So I I don't know speculation, but. Certainly, I think the common view is that Google will follow Apple in terms of an IDFA deprecation type of initiative within the next six to 12 months. And so if they're potentially thinking that revenue may decline in other areas, they may be looking for new areas to try and increase revenue. So, you know, potentially have has some impact there. The other thing to uh, Ninel, Ninel's point, Ninel, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Sorry. Um, is that they may be getting political pressure, right? Because not only is it gambling, 
sorry, I'm not as well versed in this, but I imagine that like lotteries and other gambling activities are going to be taxed, you know, and, 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 and part of that revenue is probably going to be given to the government, right? Because, because of with the licenses that they have. And so they may be able to be getting some pressure on that side, on the political side. So I'm not really too sure. All right. Last article. Yeah, last article. So we're viewing Epic Games, uh, Epic Games Stores 2020. Uh, so this article is by Master the Meta, um, which definitely sign up for if you have not, uh, their weekly newsletter. Um, and it covers the metrics which Epic posted on their own blog. Um, so if you read their blog, Epic's blog, um, they threw out a whole bunch of vanity metrics, 160 million PC customers, 56 million Mao in December, and 700 million in consumer spend through 2020. And then, of course, the big KPI, 5.5 million followers on Instagram. Instagram. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they threw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what was good was Master of the Meta, of course, went back to this and say, okay, let's look at the real numbers. Okay, so accounts went up from 108 million in 2019 to 160 million in 2020. Mao is 56 million, but that is actually a decline from summer 2020 of 61 million. And that's compared to Steam's 120 million, um, which to be honest, half of Steam's Mao is pretty good considering the size of the shop. But it is inflated with Fortnite's Mao, but of course Steam's is also inflated with Dota and CSGO's Mao. And I don't really feel like Mao is a good stat to compare against the stores. What would be better is we look at game units sold, we look at revenue per month, we look at monthly unique customers for storefront metrics. So if we look at the 700 million in consumer spend for 2020, we have to keep in mind that, okay, 680 million was for 2019. So that is a nominal increase in overall consumer spend versus 7.5 billion for Steam. And third-party revenue on Epic is roughly about 40% um, reporting by uh, Mass of the Meta of the store's total 2020 revenue. So that's roughly about 280 million. So really what Mass of the Meta was reporting was that there's actually a drop of 30% year over year in terms of revenue per registered account, right? And I think this just kind of speaks to the inflation tactics to get those accounts or get those accounts and get that activity, these aren't real customers. And that's how we're measuring. That's how they're kind of inflating those metrics. So the Epic Games Store really has not grown all that much through 2020. I think that's my takeaway. And that's despite what we've seen with COVID and all of the tailwinds that came from that. And that's despite them purchasing a lot of great exclusive titles and despite launching free games, including Grand Theft Auto V, which was a crazy spree, I think, in the fall. Um, so overall, I think this still remains a thorn in Steam's, spot, in Steam's side. Um, and obviously, they're taking key content away from that platform. But it just looks like the growth of the Epic Store is going to be extremely slow. And Epic is going to have to continue to pay for exclusives, continue to pay for these free games to slowly claw away that market share. It's not going to be a few years and then they'll be able to be on par. This is going to be a slow, drawn out uh, uh, pulling of audience. Eric? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say this out loud, but you know, given 2020's strength, wasn't these just absolutely terrible results? I mean, like the market was up huge this last year and they were basically flat, right? Bizarre. And then if you look at like $10 for MAU or three to $4 for every account, you know, or one to two dollars for third-party content over the year. 
It just doesn't seem like it's a very robust, you know, ecosystem. It seems like more of a launcher for Fortnite, right? <laughs> you know, rather than a thriving ecosystem for discovery and commerce. You know, am I missing something here? Because it just seems like it's not really kind of hoping for that vision. Now, having said that, on the speculative side, like if they start building out their metaverse bullshit, right, and and start building tools and technologies and exploration and discovery, et cetera, for games that are being built by the community, I mean, that could really like spice up this stuff pretty significantly, particularly on the activity level. But for now, it just doesn't seem like the commerce platform is being is very successful or probably as successful as people may have thought. And like a lot of the numbers for last year, for instance, were driven by exclusives that they spent out, out of the nose for, right? You know, for Division, all those other games that they brought in people. But it doesn't seem like a, a destination. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like there's some some execution problems here in terms of like, you see, we see the, the pure focus and dedication to the customer and to the player in Fortnite. I'm not, I mean, I, it's been a while since I looked at the Epic store, but, you know, I think it's strategically important for Epic. And if I were to bet longer term on who wins, is it going to be Epic or is it going to be, you know, Steam? I, I, I gotta, I gotta bet on Epic, but there's, there's, there's some political thing or there's, I mean, I, you know, they have to think, what is this? Is this really a store? Then, you know, stop pushing the engine, like really try to understand you know, what their customer wants, but I don't see the maniacal focus on the customer and the player for a store as I see on Fortnite. They need to do that. I think they probably should shake it up a little bit in terms of, you know, who's got control over the store experience personally. But I don't know. I bet over time, I think they're going to win. So do you guys think it's, it's not driving enough user base to the store? Like what's not working there? Why the users are not coming if the content is great? Because, you know, as we see, most of the players come up to content. Well, this is like, I, for lack of repeating myself a gazillion times, but like, it was like the example of um, EA's origin, right? EA's origin back in the day was like their way of getting off of Steam and kind of controlling their own fame and, and, and also controlling the relationship with their customer, right? And so... So what ended up happening, they have The Sims and Battlefield came and they did extremely well and they got a lot of people to come and download the game directly. And that was great, right? And that they they got all the margin and whatever. <laughs> but in terms of building like a social ecosystem, they had like 0.5 friends per per customer because no one was using it as a network or socially or, or for discovery. They were just losing, using it as a downloader, right? And so that's not the kind of promise, you know, things like Battle.net and 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 Steam have much more social features that are bringing in communities and 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 fostering discovery and and and, and new stuff. And so, I mean, I I, I think that that's like kind of the, I think the metric that they're hoping for is to build that type of community outside of just being a freaking you know a launcher for Fortnite, right? That makes sense. I I totally check in on my little brother of how many hours he plays in Dota on his activity on Steam. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. Is that it? I think that is it. I, I, apologize, I, I apologize. I was a little feisty this morning because I'm in, in, in excruciating pain. My uh, my 49 <laughs> year old body could not handle my two hour ride across the Bay, uh, Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> and so I have this knee tendonitis that is killing me right now. And so I'm like, I'm squirming around like a little boy that needs to go pee. Um, but anyway, uh, hopefully I'll be better next week. And so I won't be so feisty, but uh, everyone have a good week.
Yeah. Nanel, any final message for our audience? No, it was such a pleasure being with you here to, uh, today. I, I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And I hope a lot other people who are going to be listening to can uh, get some uh, very interesting insight as well. Thank you so right, much for cool. inviting me. Great. All right. Thanks. That's it, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.